Hello everyone and welcome to the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison and I'm once again joined by my good friend Chris Kasky and I'm also joined by my cat Patty who has stolen my usual seat. So I'm sitting slightly to the right of where I normally am, uh, which is nice. But anyway, how are you Chris? Oh, I'm doing great Pete. How are you today? Uh, not too bad aside from losing my normal seat. It's surprising what a difference it makes when you're sitting in a slightly different place to normal. Um, New perspective. But, uh, yeah, new perspectives indeed, and uh, yeah, cat that likes sitting where in places that smell of my ass apparently. So that's, that's how they nice. roll. It is how they roll. Both of our cats are like that, and it's 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 both adorable and weird. Because <laughs> like if it, if it was a person doing that, you'd be kind of creeped out. But if if a cat does it, it's kind of kind of cute. It's like oh, they they like things that smell of me. Yeah. But uh, anyway, enough of that. Um. So, our main topic for today, we decided we were going to talk about gory games, so that will be our third segment for today. Uh, before that, we have our usual mix of news and what we've been playing, so we're going to kick off with some news then. So, what has caught your eye recently, Chris? Do you, you want to just do the persona dump right away? <laughs> sure, why not? Why not? Okay, so, um, Persona 5 has been a bunch of sort of teasers and rumours recently, and we finally got some confirmation of what is going on. So, first of all, we got Persona 5 The Royal, which is what was previously known as P5R. Uh, that is releasing on October the 31st in Japan and coming west in 2020. Um, and that is going to be an expanded version of Persona 5 uh, that includes a whole new semester's worth of story content. So that's quite a significant amount of story. Uh, it's got a new major female character uh, called Kasumi, who is hot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love her already i don't care what she's like she's just beautiful um but uh, yeah also so there's um there's some new content in the school so there's a new character in the school who is a school counselor who uh, sort of talks to the characters after the incidents that happen uh, early in the game um yeah and there's there's some untold stories that include things like sort of new year shrine visits and and all that sort of thing so if you enjoy the sort of immersing yourself in japanese culture side of persona games then uh, yeah there's going to be plenty of that along with some some new stories and presumably some new dungeons and bosses and stuff like that as well so yeah some quality of life improvements too I think they yes. said they said that you're going to be able to use your like cell phone to like revisit previous dungeons or something. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've not read that, but yeah, that that's cool because uh, it's in in its present form, it's quite easy to to miss out on um, some treasures and stuff that that might be quite useful. I mean, there's there's nothing sort of absolutely essential in in any dungeons, but it's it's nice to be able to get some of the equipment that you can't get anywhere else, um, and uh, and not feel like you've missed out on stuff. So yeah. yeah. Um, so this, yeah, this is basically going to be to Persona Five what Fez was to Persona Three and what the Golden was to Persona Four. So it's going to be a complete separate release. It doesn't sound as if they're doing like a downloadable expansion to the original. It's going to be a completely separate release. So you, you have to buy it again if you want to play it again, uh, or if you've never played Persona Five at all, this is going to be the way to play it. So um, yeah, bear that in mind. Or if you bought Persona Five but never played it, now, yep. now's the chance to sell your copy and get <laughs> and, and yes. hack a little bit off the price of Royal. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Or if you're not bothered about the new stuff in Royal, you could probably get a copy of Base Persona Five for not very really much money after this as well. So I know someone yeah. who's going to be parting with one for twenty dollars soon. Nice, nice, <laughs> very good. All right. So um, the other piece of Persona news uh, was uh, P5S which people assumed was going to be a port of base Persona 5 to Switch, 
Which, in retrospect, doesn't really make sense, because, I mean, why would they release an expanded version and then immediately re-release the original version as well? Because, I mean, Persona 5 wasn't an especially demanding game from a technical perspective, so, like, the additions to the Royal are mostly content-based rather than visuals. I mean, I, I, th I think the new one's got 4K support, if I remember rightly, but yeah, aside from that, the actual, the actual tech that's running the game, the Switch could more than handle, because it's basically a PS3 game. Yeah. Uh, well, it is a PS3 game. Um... Uh, but yeah, P P5S turned out not to be what people expected. Uh, it turned out to be uh, an action RPG uh, developed in collaboration between Atlas and Curry Tecmo and Omega Force, which basically means it's Persona Warriors, which I am ecstatic about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. I'm the only person I know who likes this news better than, <laughs> than like, whatever. I got a PS4. Um, give me Persona Muso now. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I mean, details are pretty scant at the minute, but uh, there is a, a brief trailer out there that shows Joker uh, sort of fighting off shadows. Uh, it looks like he's actually fighting them off within Tokyo rather than in one of the dungeons from the game. Um but they're specifically calling it an action RPG rather than a hack and slash, so um, presumably there, there will be some sort of going around and exploring and perhaps some uh, social link building and stuff as well. So it remains to be seen exactly what form that's going to take, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm just into the idea of Persona Musou. That's just enormously exciting. My assumption going into this is that it's going to hew very closely to uh, Dragon Quest Warriors, Oh yeah, that because sense, that yeah. that was the same verbiage they used with those games. Mm -hmm. They they were very careful not to call those Muso games and not mm. to call those Warrior games. Yeah, because uh, they're Dragon Quest Heroes was the name of the yes. games, right? And uh, and they weren't. They they had very distinct elements. And uh, the reason I also am imagining this hewing very closely to those games is those games had monster collection elements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is Persona. Like, there's gonna be monster collecting elements. Yes, definitely. Um, we've 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 seen in the trailer that there is sort of the ability to unleash your Persona and do attacks with that as well. So presumably that's going to be sort of an equivalent of maybe Muso attacks or charge attacks or something like that. So sure. Yeah, all very exciting. I, I'm I, I'm just excited at the possibility of Persona's visual style combined with um, the sort of high energy gameplay of Musou games. So yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be a really great combination of things. Music. The music in the mix. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, the, the in the trailer, the, the cel-shaded character models are lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't think there was a release date for this was there i don't remember seeing one uh let me just briefly check the end of the trailer um no there's just a teaser site at the minute which is p5s.jp uh, so that's all in japanese at the moment but you can watch the trailer um and sort of have a, a brief look at a few teaser bits and pieces that they put up there but it's it, it's pretty much just been announced so they haven't revealed very much at all yet but uh yeah more news on that to come very soon all being well mm. Okay, what else has caught your eye lately? Uh, let's see here. Uh, project Hardcore, which is now Hardcore Mecca, which is a, mm -hmm. a Kickstarter project I backed quite a while ago. Uh, it's actually a, a game that's being developed in China, but it's right. won several um, awards at like various like independent game jams and like packs and festivals and stuff. Uh, it's got a beautiful 2D presentation with kind of uh, uh, sprites that are built out of multiple pieces. So, okay. that, yep. so that they move in a very convincing, a very fluid manner. 
Um, and it's kind of been pre- compared to like the old um, Assault Suits Lanos games in terms of its like scale and the way it presents like uh, robot action. Um, okay. So the good news is the developer Rocket Punch Games has partnered up with Arc System Works for publication and distribution. Yep. So uh, it's always nice to see when one of these independent projects can partner up with a, a publisher with some clout. So there's no word of a Western version yet, but Korea, Japan, and East Asia uh, in the summer. So if there's an East Asian version, it's very likely it'll be in English. Um, very likely it'll have a physical release, and very likely you'll be able to get it on Play Asia or something. So yeah. uh, very excited about this game. The design for designs for the robots are beautiful. The animation's really cool looking. Um, the praise around it um, seems to be very well earned. I don't know how it plays yet because I obviously have not been able to get my hands on a demo or anything, but I've just been enwrapped with the way this game looks for over a year now. Yep. Cool. Yeah, well, I know you like your mecha, and yeah, this certainly looks really nice. I've I've not come across this before, but yeah, it looks looks really cool. It's got a really nice art style to it. So yeah, I'm gonna see why you're interested in that one. Yeah, it's really cool. All right, uh, moving along, a few bits of Idea Factory news. So first up, uh, Super Neptunia RPG has had its release date confirmed. Uh, that is coming to PC on June the 20th, uh, and then PlayStation 4 and Nintendo Switch on June the 25th in North America and June 28th in Europe. Um, so, yeah, um, if you have a look at uh, Silicon Era at the moment, they've got a quite detailed breakdown of how the game works as well. So if you're interested in hearing how it plays, um, then, yeah, have, have a look over there, and they've got some some details on how the battle system and stuff works. So looking forward to give this a go. As I said, I think, last time, um, Japan hasn't responded all that well to this, but that, that doesn't mean that it's not a good game. It may just be um, a case of, oh, Western developers made this, so it's obviously not as good, but uh, you never know. You never know. I'm going gi- to give it a shot anyway, and uh, I know you're interested in it because of it uh, basically being Valkyrie profile. <laughs> yeah, and just 2D. I mean, it's a 2D. If, if I get Vert in 2D, I'm going to be really happy. <laughs> yep, so. yep. Yes. Um, so alongside that, uh, they've also, um, I think last night, they uh, they uh, revealed a couple of other release dates. So Data Live Rhea Reincarnation is coming out on the 21st of June in Europe. Uh, I don't have a North American date to hand, but 21st of June in Europe, so North America will be around the same time, I imagine. Um, and Dragonstar Varnia's limited edition pre-orders will be going live on the 14th of May. Um, and the limited edition for that will contain a steelbook case, um, a hardcover art book, an official soundtrack, a set of uh, tarot art cards, and a collector's box. So pretty similar limited edition to uh, the one they did for Death End Request, which was nice and not expensive. So Yeah, that sounds um, really nice. Yeah, so um, soundtrack and, and art book are sort of the, the main things I look for in a limited edition these days, particularly the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the steelbook for Death End Request was really nice as well. So I love yeah, a good it, steelbook. Yeah, definitely. So the steelbook um, for the new Mortal Kombat's ridiculously cool. Yeah. What what have they done with it? Well, it's just black. It's just there's nothing on it, and it has the classic Mortal Kombat sigil with the dragon right oh, in the, nice. right in the middle of it. But it's nice. it's 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 just indented. Oh, lovely. And yeah. then and then inside there's a there's a golden magnet that is the sigil. So you can oh, cool. t- you can you can take the magnet out and put it on, and it, and it fits in the indentation. Oh, on that, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like the sound of that. 
Cool. Um, and I believe you're probably going to talk a bit about Mortal Kombat later, aren't you? Yes. Oh, for sure. Excellent. Yeah. Interested to hear in that. Okay. Um, continuing with the news, what else have we got to talk about? Um, just a little thing. Raiden 5 Director's Cut is coming to the Switch in June. Um, and it's going to get a physical edition as well, just like the PS4 version did. So that's exciting. Um, the Switch version will be coming with a soundtrack CD as well. Uh, oh, good. Cool. Because the soundtrack for Raiden 5 is pretty cool. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, not much else been revealed of that, but it's... Um, yeah, it's basically a straight port from the look of things with the additional content from the Director's Cut version. Is it first came out on Xbox One, and then the Director's Cut added a few extra bits and pieces when it came out on PlayStation 4 and PC, um, and now we're getting a Switch version, which is nice. Um, what did you think of Raiden 5, by the way? I don't think I've really talked to you about it much. Um, I was actually just playing it the other day. Um, hmm. I like it. I don't love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely like four as a game better. Yes. Um, maybe it's just because I'm grouchy and old, but, uh, I find the segments, uh, like one of the things Raiden five does, it's kind of new is it plays dynamically with camera. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, there's zoomed out sections and, and sections that are a bit more zoomed in. And I, I find the zoomed out sections, like I can barely see the bullets. Like I, yeah. I, I, I find it very difficult to play it skillfully. Um, yeah. when it does that. It, it's cool from a presentation standpoint. I really like the game. But if, if you made me pick which ride and I'd rather play, I'd rather play four. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm probably in the same boat. But there's there's a lot of things I really like about Raiden 5. Like, I really like the um, the, the sort of customizable HUD you've got around the outside of the screen. Yes. So, um, that's really cool. So you can, you can do things like you can... Uh, if you're score chasing, you can kind of analyze your score with a real-time graph. But also, if you're learning the game, uh, you can also get it to bring up uh, hints and tips for fighting the various bosses and getting through various enemy waves as well. Mm-hmm. So... It's it is a very difficult game as you might expect, but it's also very friendly to people who kind of want to get better at it as well. So it's yeah, it's it's a really interesting game. I think as as you said, I, I think I prefer Raiden Four as a game, but it's still definitely worth getting. And, oh, and it's wonderful! It the, and having it on the go with Switch will be lovely because presumably they'll be doing a um, a Tate mode with it as well for handheld modes. So. I was going to say if you get the flip grip, you can do the Tate yeah. mode, and that would be very cool. Yes, um, yeah, be, it would... it's a lovely game. I really like it, and I hope everybody jumps on board with it. It's there's mm-hmm. a lot there's a lot to do. the The progressive way the weapons level up, and the fact that you don't lose the weapon levels when you die makes it kind yes. of feel a little bit almost RPG ish because you're making your choices as to which weapons you level up. There's lots of fun to be had with experimenting with the different weapon loadouts. Like it's it's a really good shooter. It's just not my favorite riding. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on, we've had a few more details about Criminal Girls X or Criminal Girls Cross, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, so we've we've had a few details about the gameplay. Apparently, the battle system is VR compatible, which is bizarre. Um, it's designed to sort of look like an FPS, but it's still um, it still kind of follows the mold of the previous ones, where it's all about rather than you issuing commands, um, it's the girls will give suggestions as to what they think they should do and then you pick one of them and say do that um 
so yeah, it it sounds like it's going to be very true to um, the, the the previous two games. Uh, they talked a little bit about the um, the gameplay flow. So uh, you go through battles. There's boss fights. There's a real world component as well. So it's not all in another dimension like uh, or, or or hell like the previous ones were. Um, it's sort of visual novel style storytelling sequences. Um, all sorts of things. Sounds like it's going to be quite an interesting game. And I have to commend them for the um, for the uh, the sort of business model they're doing for this as well. Because although it's going to be a um, a free to play game initially, they are taking to crowdfunding to produce a offline pay once version. Um, and the, the 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 idea for this was um, from the developers. Um, they saw some comments from people on Twitter. Um, who were sort of bemoaning the fact that once um, sort of online games as a service games and mobile games and stuff are shut down, there's no way to experience them after that. So and and so they decided to do something about that with this game, um, and so they've decided to make this pay once version. But they've also realised that it would need to be kind of fundamentally different to the free to play version as well. So um, the the crowdfunding attempt is not so much to raise money for the game as it is to sort of um gauge interest in that sort of oh, thing. Oh sure, I've seen that done before. Yeah, so um it hasn't started yet at the time of recording I don't think, but um yeah, there there are some some details on the Campfire Japanese crowdfunding site, so check that out over there if you want to find out a bit more about this. Um it's currently in development for PCs, Android and iOS and there is the possibility of a Western PS4 release and I I assume that Western PS4 release will have a lot to do with this crowdfunding campaign with there yeah, being no su doubt. sufficient interest in it because that will obviously have to be a standalone version. Um, I forget if, who it was, but like a couple of years ago, there was a Kickstarter campaign that I was pretty big on supporting and a lot of people were getting angry with it because it was from a developer who didn't really need to kickstart, but um, they were pretty clear that in explaining that like the way the current publication environment is uh, kickstarter and crowdfunding can actually be a valuable tool in uh pitching to publishers yes so kind of yes. like what we just saw with uh when we were talking about hardcore mecca uh, a lot of these companies can take the groundswell of support from a kickstarter campaign and make a case to a publisher that there is indeed demand for this product and then yep. that can open the door for published versions physical versions and console releases so yep. it often becomes a tool an awareness tool more than more than the money yeah yes yeah, so i i mean i'm all for this i mean i've i've, I've said with regard to games like grand blue fantasy and fake grand order and stuff those those games have really great stories and really great artwork and music and stuff and it's just a shame that in order to engage with those you have to engage with sort of business practices and game structures that you don't necessarily like and it's a bit of a shame so seeing a company planning this from the outset so so rather than just sort of getting together in a mad panic at the end of end of a game's life and before it gets shut down to think oh shit we should probably do a standalone version of this they're actually <laughs> planning this from the outset um which is which is really cool to see so ho hopefully this will be the start of a new trend but uh, we shall see i guess okay uh you want to talk a bit about way forward yeah okay let's do that um because this is really cool news <laughs> so yeah uh there a little while ago there was some talk of a like a copyright release for something 
uh, that was called River City Girls that appeared to be related to WayForward. Uh, and then the news came out that WayForward has teamed up with Arc System Works, who now owns the Kunio Kun license, which we know mm-hmm. in the in the West as River City Ransom. Yeah. Um, and they're going to be working together to make a new River City game, uh, River City Girls, um, yeah. which is exciting for so many reasons. Uh, <laughs> uh, a because Kunio Kun games are loads of fun. They're just great, cheeky beat 'em ups with really cool integrated rpg elements like leveling your characters up and saving up money and buying items which i love um mm-hmm. second way forward makes the cutest girls ever yes um <laughs> third like japanese delinquent girls is like one of my favorite like <laughs> like favorite 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 like aesthetic things ever like with the hats and like the long coats and like the like grouchy expressions and like cigarettes and like i love it so like <laughs> if theoretically we're talking about way forward making a beat-em-up with cute delinquent girls like i'm done <laughs> like, <laughs> like this game is going to be great yeah. like uh, way way forward a couple years ago did uh their take on double dragon mm-hmm. and it was wonderful double dragon neon um was just just incredible yeah so i'm just imagining how good this can be based on how good double dragon neon was Mm. yeah i I always forget that was them but um yeah it definitely was and uh yeah and they did they did a really good job with that definitely so this is very exciting and uh also uh potential for like shantae as an unlockable character or dlc or something that's quite an appealing prospect as well or maybe like patty (laughs) Uh, officer patty wagon will come after you if you're if you're if you're bad enough like who knows they could they could incorporate whatever they want right mm. so and because arc system works is involved the likelihood of a physical release right off the bat is probably pretty high yes they've been really good with that over the over the last couple of years so yeah definitely very exciting very exciting indeed so not many details on this game just yet um so there's there's going to be more revealed later in 2019 whatever that means but uh yeah they they have confirmed it exists so it's enough for me yeah um talking of beat-em-ups you want to talk about the capcom home arcade I- <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is a nightmare <laughs> i've never I never thought I w- I would not want something related to CPS2 board games. Mm-hmm. But here we are in 2019 and Capcom has decided to make their very own plug and play because uh-huh. every because everyone has to have a plug and play, right? Uh-huh. But I'll tell you what everyone doesn't have to have a plug and play that costs nearly $300 and lo- <laughs> and, and looks like it's a child's toy. <laughs> And forces yeah. me to sit next to my friends so that our butts are touching. <laughs> and it only has like what, like sixteen games on it? And it's yeah, like 16. it's like it's like three hundred dollars and it has sixteen games on it. Yeah. What are what are they this thing needs to have the entire CPS one and CPS two catalog on it for yeah. that for that price point. Yeah, so I, I mean, the, the way they've been trying to justify the expense is that the the arcade sticks it's made of they're really good quality parts, but yeah. I mean they're not they're not three hundred dollars worth of good parts. They they are just nice parts. No, Sanwa Denshi um, parts are inexpensive. If you go yeah. online and look up buttons, 
for Sanwa yeah. Denshi parts. They are not expensive. Yes, but I mean, there is there is sort of an expectation that if you buy an arcade stick with Sanwa Denshi parts, it's going to be quite expensive. People are people have sort of got that expectation now. It's a lot of people don't think to sort of look at the individual parts. Yeah, um, for sure. And I I think that's why they think they they might be able to get away with this. But um, yeah, there's all sorts of problems with this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, one the the design is just horrendous. It's hideous. Um, for, for those who haven't seen it, it's basically a massive lump of plastic in the shape of the Capcom logo with the arcade sticks on top of it. And it's just, it's just hideous. It's really, really horrible. And and as you say, um, it's you, you can't split it in half. Um, so you, you have to like put it on a flat surface like, like an arcade machine and sort of sit next to each other or stand next to each other, which I guess is sort of authentic to the original. But the whole point of having these things in the home is so you don't have to deal with the inconveniences of arcade machines. I was in an arcade um, last night, and let me tell you something. As a 34-year-old man, I hated my life. We were, <laughs> we were, me and three of my buddies were trying to play the original Turtles arcade game. Ass-to-ass, yeah. shoulder-to-shoulder. It's, <laughs> it's fun when you're eight. Yeah. I don't want this in my room. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other big problem with this is that um, the the emulator that is running it is called FB Alpha, which is supposed to be one of the uh, sort of the best way of emulating Capcom CPS one and CPS two uh, ROMs. Um, but according to the developers of FB Alpha, um, like the announcement of this product was the first that they'd heard of it being used in there. <laughs> and so Capcom just thought, oh, it's it's a free emulator, isn't it? We'll just we'll just pop it in there, and no one will notice. Oh, did you um, hear? It, it goes even deeper than that. Now. Oh, does it? I, I I didn't follow the rest of the story because so I was, like uh, I was... one of the guys licensed it to Capcom and didn't tell the rest of the guys. Oh shit! Seriously? <laughs> so <laughs> so oh, it's no. like dra- there's like drama now. It's it's a this <laughs> this this thing is an absolute mess. Oh no, that is a nightmare. Jesus Christ. But yeah, this this is going to be an absolute disaster for Capcom. And after they've done so much good recently as well, after they've done so many good things with like Resident Evil 2 and Devil May Cry, I mean, I, I've got things I don't like about both of those, but um, yeah, uh, people have, have, have sort of pretty pretty well regarded Capcom recently, but sort of them getting back on form. And then they go and pull something stupid like this. Why? Just, why why isn't this a disc for my PS4? <laughs> for god's sake like everyone's flipping out because okay let me just say one positive thing about this thing mm-hmm. it's the thing everyone's excited for holy shit alien versus predator in the home yes that game is unbelievable but why is this not a disc for my ps4 for 29.99 yeah. that i can yeah go buy a hoary real arcade pro for kai and just like yeah. you can let me let me just reiterate. This thing costs as much as a game console. Uh huh. And has sixteen games. You can 16 go sixteen games. You can go get a Switch and a copy of the Capcom Belt Scroller Beat 'Em Up Bundle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, what I mean, even on top of that, you could like get a few of the like downloadable arcade games that there are as well, and the Street Fighter Collection. One thing I am glad about this, I'm glad it's not 16 versions of Street Fighter. Yes, that's cool. <laughs> but it, but everyone's complaining about the version of Street Fighter that they put on it. <laughs> like, it's not the one people want. So, also, it's like they they put the they put the bad Mega Man fighting game on it, not the not the improved second version. Uh-huh. Like, like like this thing's a mess from like every angle. 
I know I know one guy who's excited about it, and he's mm-hmm. excited about it for the only legitimate reason to be excited about it. He wants to hack it open, flash the BIOS, and put yeah, put his like full MAME like collection on it. Yeah, that that'd be cool. And similarly, if if someone can hack it to work as an arcade stick as well, that would probably be pretty cool as well. But um, yeah, I don't know how easy that side of things will be. But yeah, definitely, definitely hacking it open and being able to put your own ROMs on there and sort of actually make it a complete collection of cps1 and cps2 games that that would be great uh although you still have to deal with that hideous casing <laughs> no i i don't understand who this is for at, at, <laughs> at this price point anyone who can afford this has the consoles yeah yeah and ha- can have the whole point of the plug-in plays is they're they're t- a-, a small and travel easily uh-huh. convenient inexpensive and loaded with games Yes, and this is none of those things. <laughs> like, I, don't, I, don't, I, I hate it. I hate how much I have to make fun of this thing. But as a, <laughs> as a Capcom fan, like, uh, I will talk about CPS2 games all day long. Like, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs for life. But, mm. but seriously, or was that a CPS1 game? CPS games, whatever. Love yep. CPS games. Um, but seriously, this this thing is like a joke. Like this thing looks like an April Fool's joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um. Right. The well, last thing I think I want to talk about then is that um, Mark Cerny from Sony had a bit of a chat with Wired recently to talk a bit about PlayStation Five. That he um, did. If- Yes, and there's lots of interesting details. Uh, a lot of it very sort of uh, techie-minded stuff, as you as you would expect from a conversation with Mark Cerny. But um, yeah, I think I think sort of the the the, the key things um, that we can take from it that that aren't sort of overly techie and boring are um, it's going to be making use of SSD rather than hard drives, uh, which uh-huh. was, which speeds up loading times considerably. Uh, it's going to be backwards compatible with. At the very least, PlayStation 4, um, they haven't sort of confirmed whether they're going to do anything else with um, previous generations, but they have confirmed it will be backwards compatible with PS4 games. Um, And they've shown things like Spider-Man running on it. um, I I think they said it runs it up to 8K resolution, as if anyone cares. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great. Yeah, it's like just but yeah, like 8K resolution is just like your brain can't even comprehend that. Yeah, like yeah. I don't even understand. Like even like 4K sometimes I'm like I don't know how much better this is than 1080p because I just yeah. can't perceive it anyway. Like yeah. 8K, yeah, definitely. Um, it's like the sense of a like football f- field. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that they've said is that. Um, yeah, VR is going to continue to be an important part of what they're doing, and the current PSVR headset will be compatible with the new system. Oh, that's great news! Um, which is which is cool. Um, but they they've also suggested that there might be a possibility of an upgraded version in the future because of the new CPU and GPU in the console. It will be able to to, to drive um, a VR headset that has higher resolution and that sort of thing. So that's really I, good news. Yeah, so so that's nice. Um, I mean, P- PSVR is is by no means sort of a, a top of the range headset or anything, but it's it's perfectly adequate for for what it does. It's it's got reasonable quality. Um, it runs at 120 frames a second, so it's very smooth. Um, and Sony's insistence that um, 
developers get stuff running well on there means that every experience you have on psvr is going to be to a particular standard so um and obviously ps5's additional power is going to make that even better so that's i'm quite interested in psvr but all my experiences with it i have made me uncomfortable because the resolution is just a bit lower than i need it to be yes Um, yes. it's 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 not from a judgmental standpoint i get why but i i I just literally it makes me physically uncomfortable yeah like i I, I mean that's that's a that's a common problem with vr in general and we're just now starting to get headsets that run at a higher resolution and people are finding those a little bit more comfortable like my friend has just got this new system called the pimax i think it's called um and it's like a it's basically like like a widescreen vr headset oh cool um and and so that gives you a lot more in the way of peripheral vision um the the uh the resolution is higher um because it's sort of new technology it's not really designed for your typical consumer at the minute like you have to do a lot of setting up to get it working at the moment but once you get it once you get it set up it works really really well um and and so sort of moving forward um as new companies start introducing their own headsets like i I think valve has actually announced what what their headset is going to be now as well so it's going to continue to push things forward and um yeah although psvr is still kind of niche interest it's done a lot to kind of raise awareness of vr games and Mm -hmm. convince companies that making vr experiences is worth the time and money so yeah yeah so basically what i'm hearing is if i get a better resolution vr headset on my ps5 i'll finally Um, be able to play astrobot and (laughs) and then life will be good Yes, yes, Astrobot is a thing of wonder. And I only realized after we'd finished recording our 3D mascot platformers thing that uh, given that Astrobot was one of the things we said we should talk about, we didn't mention it at all. Oh, don't even get me started (laughs) about that. Do you know we went through an entire episode about choice RPG battle system mechanics and I didn't mention Valkyrie Profile once? (laughs) There are so many topics we need to return to. Yes, definitely. Okay, cool. Um, right, any other bits of news you wanted to talk about? Uh, just in terms of the PS4, um, it, Sony did say yesterday, though, that not within the next 12 months. Yes. Okay. So we're not looking at winter or spring. Mm-hmm. Pro- I, I'm thinking probably holiday 2020. Yeah, maybe. Win- winter time 2020. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of speculation on new hardware gaming coming around at the minute. Like, there's been loads of speculation over Nintendo doing a new Switch. Yeah, but they said they're not. But then, whatever that means. Well, they, they said that they they said that they said weren't going to announce anything at E3, is oh, specifically oh, what they said. That's fair. Um, whether that means that they're not doing anything, or if they're just not going to announce it at E3, E3 remains to be seen. But, I mean, it's, it's all speculation at the minute. There's no sort of confirmation. Whereas... The difference with this stuff on PS5 is that this was an actual interview with Wired, with Mark Cerny. The things he said are things that are going to happen. So yeah. that, that's that's what makes this particularly interesting. So That being said, I do want that like pro switch. <laughs> like that everyone talks yeah. about. <laughs> like, yes, please. Um, <laughs> let's see, what else? Oh, Experience announced a new dungeon crawler for the, oh, v- yes. For yes, the yes, Vita, yes. which is crazy. Mm-hmm. So experience are like the kings of the Vita dungeon crawler, right? Demon mm-hmm. Ga- Demon Gaze, Stranger of Sword City. Um, what's that one with the cool, like zoomed in perspective? Uh, Ray Gigant. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're making a new dungeon crawler. Um, 
Azure Wing Chevalier, and mm-hmm. uh, cool. Uh, they're making a Vita game. I thought those weren't being made anymore. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I don't love experiences games. I think they're all kind of cookie cutter, but uh-huh. um, but it's cool that it exists. Yeah, and the I, art I, and the art will be incredible. Yeah, our experience artwork is yeah is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I I've only played Demon Gaze to date, but Demon Gaze is a game that got me into dungeon crawlers, so I have to give it lots of credit for that. Sure, as I like previously, I played some dungeon crawlers, but they they hadn't really caught my attention that much. But I played Demon Gaze, and I was like, yes, this is a thing I like engaging with. Mm-hmm. And then I played Dungeon Travelers too, and never looked back. So um. yeah, well, welcome, <laughs> welcome. Uh, yes. So yeah, I, I'm I'm well up for this. I've actually got a whole bunch of experience RPGs on my shelf that I need to get through at some point. I've got Demon Gaze Two, Stranger of Sword City, the two Operation Abyss and Babel as well. Those were those. yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, I've got a whole bunch of those I need to play at some point. So I will. I have Ragagant, and I haven't played that yet. I bought that specifically because the the artistic presentation is so strange. Yeah. Um. And because Limited Run published a physical of it, and I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but I haven't played it yet. Alrighty. Okay, is that everything for now? Yeah, that's everything that's important, unless you want to geek out about East some more. Like, every time <laughs> every time East 9 news trickles out, but, like, we finally have official artwork of Adol in East uh-huh. 9, and people are like, why does he have black hair? Because uh, he has, like, black and blue hair now. But then there's uh-huh. screenshots of the game where he does have red hair. So, like, yeah. I think it's all just, like, plot stuff. And, like, I think it's probably tied to, like, the, the whole prison theme of the game. Yeah. Like, he's probably dyed his hair to, like, to like escape being caught, right? Because he's famous yeah. for his red hair. So I think it's probably plot-related. Yeah, it, it'll it'll be either that or something to do with the monster side of things when it like like when he gets monstrous, his hair turns black or something like that. It'll be it'll be something. Along yeah, those well, lines. there's uh like in all the pictures, he has the black and blue hair, and he's dressed really like conservatively. He's got like a mm-hmm. gentlemanly look with like a scarf. But then there's other like there's shots and other art where he has the red hair, and then he's like in the armor with like a claw. Yeah. So so it's gonna all tie into the plot and the mechanics, but um, Dogi confirmed <laughs> oh yeah dogi's apparently playing quite a major role in this new one so I, I think be... dogi might be the main character of this one <laughs> i think there's probably a lot of a time where adults in jail or whatever yeah well all he needs to do is just walk through a wall though and yeah that's what dogi does isn't it <laughs> punch it down <laughs> yeah yeah so you know wouldn't be an episode of this if we didn't talk about the latest east nine trickles indeed indeed that's everything right. i got yeah, that's everything I've got as well. So let's take a short break for now, and then we'll come back and talk about what we've been playing recently. So see you in a moment. Welcome back. For our second segment, we're going to talk about what we've been playing recently, or from the sound of things in our conversation in the break, what I've been playing recently. Have you been playing anything recently? No, I don't <laughs> play video games anymore. I just buy them and talk about them. <laughs> um, no, like, my, uh, like we kind of talked about last week, uh, last episode, and I was talking about Pac-Man. Uh, my big thing lately has just been like 15-minute decompress sessions before work. <laughs> Um, yeah. I've got a show coming up in August for my art stuff, so like my evenings have not been very conducive to gaming as of late. Yeah. Um, 
but um, I've been playing a lot of Pac-Man DX again still. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've recently f- re-fallen back in love with Geometry Wars 3, which yep. happens uh, like every, about every three weeks. I, I, I reconnect with Geometry Wars 3, <laughs> which is just, oh, it's so wonderful on so many levels. So arcade stuff like that. I popped in Raiden 5 the other morning because I realized mm-hmm. I, I hadn't really played it nearly enough when it launched. Um, yeah. But besides that, I've just been chipping away at Iconoclasts some more. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing nothing really serious, to be honest. Cool. All right. Well, I guess it's down to me then. So um, <laughs> first one I will talk about, because I know you'll be happy about it, is Sonic Lost World. Yeah. Yeah, so Sonic Lost World. Oh, my goodness. What a wonderful game. What a what a wonderful, wonderful game that was. It, that was... It's... Yeah, so far, having played through most of the mainline Sonic series, with the exception of the handheld stuff so far, yeah, I think this is probably my favorite Sonic game so far. Oh, really? Um, wow. Yeah. That's some serious business. It's definitely my favorite 3D Sonic game. Yes, yeah, yeah. But um, no, I, I just understand everything you were going on about in our right <laughs> now. It's just... It's just such a wonderful game. It's just so filled with joy of exploration and platforming, and it's got the Sonic speed in there. And it's yes, it does have a very different feel to a lot of Sonics, and yes, it does feel quite like a Mario game, and yes, it really sounds like a Mario game uh, with that soundtrack. But yeah, it's just a exceptionally well-designed game with lots of really interesting things, lots of things to explore. It's been the only Sonic game that I've played throughout the whole series where I felt actually felt inclined and motivated to seek out all of the secrets and collectibles mm-hmm. so a, a, as i was going along and playing so I, I started collecting some of those red star rings and i i sort of came to the conclusion as i was playing that sort of like the proper game in sonic lost world the the, the way to truly appreciate the level designs is going after those red star rings oh yes they, because they lead you in so many different directions that you you can just easily run straight past like there's so many levels in sonic lost world where you can pretty much run in a straight line from start to finish but you will miss out on so much interesting level design if you do that um, yeah oh yeah yeah, and so I made a conscious decision early on that, yes, I'm going to play this through. I'm going to get all the Red Star Rings and, um, yeah, and, and take it from there. And, yeah, I, I feel like I had a, a really great experience as a result. Um, yeah, Lost so. World is... The way I always describe Lost World to people is that, it, like, 3D Sonic went in a very specific direction, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Like, the Sonic Adventure... And so- 3D Sonic has always kind of followed Sonic Adventure ever yeah. since. Yeah. Lost World said nah and tried to do something different. Mm-hmm. And like as much as I've always appreciated Sonic Adventure and 3D Sonic, I mean, obviously I love all those games. Yeah. But but Sonic Lost World feels like what I always wanted Sonic 3D to be. Yeah. Like when I was a kid and like hoping there'd be a 3D Sonic game on the Saturn, mm-hmm. like Sonic Lost World is the game I wanted. Well, like what, what? What it feels like is they took the ideas from what was going to be Sonic Extreme and go, well, what if we actually made this? Yes. So, like the idea of sort of the floating platforms and the three D shapes and the abstract nature of it. Yeah, that was this was all stuff that they were going to do for Sonic Extreme. Yeah. And and didn't. Uh, but then they decided to give it a go in Sonic Lost World, and it works really well. And with the additional power of the Wii U over the systems that Sonic Sonic Extreme was originally going to come out on, they were able to do a lot more than they would have been able to do if it was a Saturn game as well. So, yeah. 
so it's a, it's a really interesting game and i i understand why some people don't like it compared to some of the other sonic games if you're going in expecting another sonic adventure style thing or or another boost sonic type game which i think is sort of the sonic adventure kind of evolved into boost sonic which i think is, yeah. is where is which um so we got uh unleashed um colors generations and forces all basically follow that model um where sonic lost world was doing something completely different with it um yeah, and I think it was it was a really refreshing change. I, I like Boost Sonic. I, I like that combination of 3D and 2D that it's got going on. Um, but yeah, it was it was nice to have something that felt completely different that was just provided a, a, a different sort of gaming experience to the rest of the series. And yeah, I I can I, I can understand why people looking for something might not have might not have enjoyed it. And certain things like the the boss fights are all a bit crap. But yeah, well. Aside from like that, boss fights in modern video games in general are crap. Like, yeah, when was the last time you were you didn't think that boss fights were just something you had to put up with? I I don't know because I, I still I still quite enjoy boss fights as, as sort of dramatic moments and I I've yeah enjoyed, me too. I've, I've enjoyed the boss fights in Sonic Forces, which I'm currently playing through at the moment. Yeah, some of those um, are quite good, except for that one against like the robot B with Zavok. That fight sucked. <laughs> I, I didn't have too much of a problem with that, but there's, there, there, yeah, there's one mechanic in that 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 sort of if you don't spot it straight away, then it will make your life hell. Uh, which is which is just like when he slams into the ground, you have to not jump. Like your natural instinct is to jump up and try and hit him, but if if you don't jump, then you will get knocked into the air anyway, and that's how you hit him. Mm. But it, do it doesn't necessarily make that very clear to begin with, and if you don't figure that out, then you will, you will spend hours just going around and around the same attack patterns. Um, but yeah, I I I, I, I quite like uh, a lot of a lot of modern boss fights. I, I think the ones in Sonic Lost World they just kind of didn't have a lot of impact because there were some of them that you could finish in one hit. Um, like the 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 final battle against the what's his what's his name Zavok from the Deadly Six, you can sort of finish the first phase with a single hit. If you if you lock onto him multiple times and just fling yourself at him, it, it's just over. And it's just like this was supposed <laughs> to be the climactic battle of the entire story. And yeah, you just you just twat him once and he runs off, and you're like, okay. <laughs> but I did um, really I did really like that one fight against Robotnik when he's like in the version of his robot and it has like the big demon wings. Yes, yeah, that's pretty early in the game, but that that fight was cool. Yeah, yeah. The and and the 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 final Eggman fight is pretty cool as well. That's the, it. So has some callbacks to. Uh, some of the boss fights in Unleashed, which kind of have almost almost um, shoot 'em up type elements to them. Oh, that's cool. Like, where he's like sort of shooting bullet patterns at you, and you've got to dodge them and sort of maneuver between things uh, before sort of striking at the right moment. So yeah, so yeah, the the actual actual final battle in Sonic Lost World is really cool, um, but some of the other ones before that are uh, yeah not great. But I mean, they don't detract from the experience as a whole because the experience as a whole is mostly about all these interesting levels that have a nice mix of 2D and 3D. Some are exploration based, some are dexterity based, some have a bit of both. And yeah, it's just been just been a real pleasure to play. So I'm I'm glad I finally took the time to to, to play through that. No, me too. Were you able to play the Zelda DLC level? Yes, yes. The the Zelda and the Yoshi story and the Knights DLC. They're 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 all wonderful. The, um, the the Yoshi one in particular is very very true to Yoshi's Island. It's an absolute delight. Um, and yeah, I was I was I was very pleased to discover that um, yeah, the, the the copy I got was actually a second hand copy. Oh, um, but but the the um, 
the Knights DLC code in it still worked. So whoever oh, had it previously obviously didn't redeem it, so I was still able to get hold of that, which was cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, that's Sonic Lost World. Um, as I say, I've also been playing Sonic Forces a bit as well, um, which which is um, yeah, that's that's a that's a cool game. I'm enjoying that so far. Um, yeah, I like it too. I like it a yeah. lot actually. Yeah, it's um, it's back to the boost Sonic formula as I said before, but then you've got the addition of uh, classic Sonic again, like uh, in Generations, and then you've got these Avatar stages as well that you play with your custom character, and so this. A nice mix of different gameplay styles in there so i really like that the the classic sonic stages they seem to have kind of um upped the emphasis on the kind of momentum based stuff that mm-hmm. some people thought was a little bit lacking from generations in a few places um but yeah there's there's definitely the feel of old school sonic doing things like sort of struggling to get up hills and stuff like that so uh they've done that really nicely i love what they've done with the music in the classic sonic stages as well so they're all original compositions but what they've done is they've used the um the midi sound set from the original sonic game so you've got like the original instrument sounds and that distinctive drum sound that sonic games on the mega drive used and yeah it it just make it looks like a new game but it sounds like an old game and it's it's mm. just it's yeah. great i love it um and the cheese factor oh my god i love the cheese factor in this oh game i know so sonic like, sonic cheese is particularly delicious yeah just like anytime your avatar is doing something cool with sonic and like the lyrics kick into a song or something and it's like uh, someone's singing about fighting and unity and teamwork and like love and friendship and that sort of thing it's just like yes this is exactly what i want from this can we just talk about forces in general like from yeah. a narrative like from a narrative perspective like like the dark like like forces starts and like robotnik's already conquered the world and sonic is dead yeah and like you're in mourning and like sonic is dead but we still have to fight on anyway but then yeah. sonic is not dead and then like the the triumphant return of like sonic to everyone's lives yeah. as like as like a, a christ figure re- re- like reborn <laughs> yeah oh it's great it's great uh, it's it, it's it's sort of the the kind of the natural end point of the whole sort of technology versus nature thing that the whole series has had going on from here it's i I guess in some ways it's kind of an evolution of um the bad future stuff in sonic cd yeah yeah all of it all of forces is bad future right yeah yeah um but yeah just just sort of seeing things like um sort of like you go through green hill zone several times but green hill zone has been so sort of um sort of torn up by Eggman and stuff that part, parts of it have turned into desert and like there's there's sort of burnt out dead trees and stuff around the place and it's like this familiar environment but there's there's stuff there that's 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 unfamiliar as well it's like this is not the green hill zone you you remember um <laughs> i did find it funny that they they specifically acknowledge how long sonic has been running now so like there, there is a line where i think infinite says to Eggman that sonic has been beating him for decades um but yet, Tails still sounds like an eight-year-old girl. <laughs> <laughs> Did they actually say that? Like, did they say Tails sounds like an eight-year-old girl? No, no, no. That was that, that was my interpretation. But, <laughs> but but yeah, Infinite does specifically say that, that Sonic has been beating you for decades at this point, and so you just naturally think, well, this is like, well, why 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 hasn't Tails grown up at all in that time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really I really appreciate Forces a lot. Oh yeah, and there was also the line where 
modern Sonic and classic Sonic first meet each other, and his first line is, "Oh, it's been generations since I've seen you." And you're like, mwah, mwah. <laughs> "So yeah, I'm enjoying that at the moment." There'll be a write up on that probably next week at this rate, uh, and then I will uh, crack on with Mania, and then that will be Sonic done and dusted for now That's until awesome. I decide to go and do the um, the handheld games, which uh, I'd like to at some point, but I'll probably take a, a bit of a break before then. You do know the, the the magic of the first Sonic on the Game Gear, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. Do you know um, who, who developed that shit? Yes, yes, I do, and I know who did the music as well. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's something special. Yeah, definitely. Um, back when I back when I started the Sonic the Hedgehog feature, um, sort of uh, midway through last year, uh, I've sort of picked it up again recently. Yeah, I, I I went through and I made a specific effort to have a look at some of the Sonic games that don't often get talked about, like the Game Gear games. So there's the 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 two mainline Game Gear games, and then there's all the sort of spin-off ones on Game Gear as well, like um, Sonic Chaos, Triple Trouble, Blast. Uh, and the Tales games as well. I was going to say that, that like pseudo RPG Tales game is really cool. Yes, yes, Tales Adventure. That's a really, really cool game. Um, and the the weird sort of vaguely shoot 'em up one as well is um, is is quite an interesting game. I'm not sure it's good, but it's certainly an in, <laughs> it's certainly an interesting one. There's some really interesting mechanics and sort of use of physics in that one. So yeah, um, check out my Sonic feature on MarioGamer.net to find out a bit more about that. There's uh, definitely some really interesting games that uh, don't get talked about anywhere near enough recently. Okay, um, so other things I have been playing recently is um, those who follow me on uh, Patreon or are good enough to give money to me on Patreon anyway will know that I've kind of had a bit, a bit of a hunger to get back to some Final Fantasy recently and uh, mostly inspired by uh, watching some let's plays by pro jared i've watched this playthrough of uh, final fantasy 1 and final fantasy 3 recently and i thought i want to do a final fantasy marathon i've been wanting to do this for years uh, sort of start at the beginning and play all the way through um but one thing that people never do with these Final Fantasy marathons is they never include the MMOs in there. They never include mm. 11, they never include 14. Um, and so what I thought I would do is that rather than necessarily going straight through in order, I would make a start on 11 now because I know that 11 is pretty long in terms of story with all the expansions it had. But I also know that everyone who has played through 11's story say that it is one of their all-time final, favorite Final Fantasy stories. And so, That's cool. And so I was very keen to play this. And the nice thing about playing 11 in 2019 is that pretty much 99% of the game can be played completely solo. So there's no need to rely on other people. There is uh, for those for those unfamiliar, Final Fantasy XI launched in 2002, and it was an RPG modelled after the EverQuest mold. So this was well before World of Warcraft, which wouldn't come out for another two years after Final Fantasy XI. Uh, and so it was it was done in the EverQuest mold, in which sort of partying up with people was absolutely essential. Otherwise, you would get your ass kicked by like the yeah. most basic of monsters. Which, I mean. In some ways, it was fun because it made you meet people. And certainly, when I played Final Fantasy XI for the first time, back around the time that Rise of the Xylat came out, which was when it first came west, I think, just after its first expansion was released. Yeah, I, I, I had some fun. I made some good friends there. Um, but it was so time-consuming. There was there was a lot of downtime in that game. There's a lot of sitting around shouting um, for parties um, to come and recruit you and, like, there was always the the old MMO thing of of the meta, like if you didn't have the right job, then parties wouldn't want you and that sort of thing. Yeah. It, was a, it was a real pain to get through. 
and so um a few years back they introduced this system called trust um and trust is a system where you can basically recruit npcs from around the game world and there's like 110 of them all together oh wow um so and you re- you recruit them in various ways so so um initially you recruit them just by sort of signing on with this trust initiative thing so the the concept of trust is that rather than the actual npc coming with you you're casting a magic that represents your kind of bond of friendship with this person and it summons forth like a, an alter ego of them like a, a sort of artificial magically created version of this person um, and so obviously you have to establish a relationship with these people beforehand so the first one you meet is like the secretary who's running this uh, this system and she's a white mage and then she points you in the direction of someone else you can talk to and there's like there's like a cat girl thief living in the town of windhurst who if you do a quest for her she will let you summon her as a trust and so on and um and then you so, can start because you have the best one exactly exactly um but yeah, as you work your way through the game, you, you acquire more and more of these trusts, and you can basically use them to build a party with. Um, and so stuff that you would have previously had to recruit other players for, you can now just summon these trusts instead. And they are very competent at what they do. Um, so they, they they all have like a, one of the specific jobs uh, from Final Fantasy XI, of which there's quite a lot now. So you've got... Um, uh, sort of like your basics like warrior monk black mage white mage and that sort of thing and then you've got sort of more interesting stuff out there like you've got uh, red mages in there you've got dancy you've got Beastmaster, and so across all the course of the game you'll you'll find this like massive mix of different uh, characters that you can put in your party for a, a very different feel and a very different experience to the game as you play through or if you want to you can just stick with the like the the basic ones that you get towards the beginning of the game they give you like a basic tank a basic healer a basic damage dealer um and yeah it lets you romp through the early levels of the game much more easily than you would have done in the past which is great um and alongside that they've added um a much more robust quest system in there as well so there were always quests and missions in final fantasy 11 so quests were sort of things you you talk to an npc in a town and they'd ask you to do something and like you might get a helpful reward from it you might get a bunch of crap for doing it you you didn't really know but what they added um i think around a similar time to this trust system is they added this system called records of eminence and the the concept behind that is you get sold this um this doll uh, called a memorandol uh, quite early in the game um except it sort of attaches itself to you before you've paid for it and then the scam artist is sort of sort of left not being able to force any money out of you because it's already attached itself to you and what the doll does is it it, it sort of records your memories and your experiences and the way this is implemented in the game is there's a whole bunch of different objectives in in this massive list and you can activate a bunch of them and when you complete the objectives you get loads of experience and rewards and you get this currency that you can use to buy better equipment and stuff so that means you don't have to grind for gill and stuff and so the whole experience now while it's much much easier than it was in the past and some sort of veteran players aren't too happy about that it just means that you can jump into final fantasy 11 in 2019 now and have a really good experience that is sounds great remarkably akin to playing a single player rpg um, you're uh, you're I, tempting my business right now. <laughs> it's it's uh, Are you playing it on uh, 
Steam or on yes. PC or whatever? Yes, yes. So that's the only way you can play now because the, the console version shut down in 2016, so the only place you can play it now is on PC. They were supposed to be working on a mobile client at one point, but uh, that's never emerged at some point. And I can't, I can't imagine how you'd play this on mobile anyway. Um, but yeah, so so what I've been doing for the last couple of days, I've been, I've been start making a start on recording some Final Fantasy XI episodes um, that I will eventually release as part of the complete Final Fantasy marathon, and maybe release them early to patrons as well if if they're interested in seeing them. Um, but yeah, I've been having an absolute blast. It's 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 been a really nice combination of nostalgia for the game as it was, and being able to enjoy it without monopolizing my time. And sure. So it's sort of a best of both worlds situation. So, so I have this wonderful nostalgia for the point I got to back in 2002, 2003, whatever it was, when I first played it. Which, And I think the furthest I got was about level 30. And it goes up to level 99 now. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of stuff in this game I haven't seen, um, including most of the main storyline. So I'm very excited to see how these stories play out because they are supposed to be immensely good. So... Um, yeah, so, so that is the other thing I've been playing lately. So uh, hopefully by the time the rest of my Final Fantasy Marathon catches up to 11, uh, I might have finished at least at least some of the main stories in that campaign. Um, but at this rate, it's going to be quite a long series. But for those who are interested in seeing how the game plays, but maybe not in playing it, I'm looking at you, Chris. Um, then... <laughs> I'm on the Steam page as we speak. Um, are they still then... charging 15 bucks a month for this bad boy? Um, it's not quite that much, I don't think. It's, um, I think, oh, I don't know what that converts to in dollars, actually. I think it's, it's about six or seven pounds a month. Oh, okay. So um, like, which, is, which is not, not too bad. So, yes, there, there still is a subscription fee, but when you buy a new copy, you get 30 days free. Um, and if, if, if you play it a reasonable amount in that first month, you can get a reasonable distance through the game now. So, um, you just have to, you just have to make a, a bit of commitment to it. But, I mean, that's no different from a regular RPG these days. It's sure. certainly, certainly not the time sink it once was. Um, and so, yeah, I'm having an absolute blast with that in a minute. Uh, I'm really enjoying revisiting it and looking forward to what comes next. So, at some point, watch out for those videos. If you're, if you're a patron, I think I will release those early uh, for people who are curious because I, I've recorded them now, so I might as well let some people see them at least. Um and yeah, those will be coming up in the future. And that's pretty much everything I've been playing lately, I think. So um, that's a fairly short segment for now. But uh, yeah, lots to talk about in the next one. So mm -hmm. we'll take a short break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some gore. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Yeah, see you in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. For our third segment, we wanted to talk about gory games um, and sort of how they've, what impact they've had on us over the years, what gory games we've encountered and all that sort of thing. So I thought an interesting thing to, to talk about first would be to sort of establish a baseline of our respective attitudes towards gore and violence. So um, how do you feel about gore and violence in media in general, Chris? Well, I think there's a fine line. Right, so I really, I, I'm a horror guy, which we've discussed mm -hmm. a lot. I really like yeah. horror movies. I really like slashers. I really love, you know, the old practical special effects masters from like the '80s and stuff. Um, but I, I like a very specific kind of gore and violence. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and the key word here being style. Yeah. So, like, I like stylized gore and violence or gore and violence that's presented in such a way that it's cheeky or a little bit of, um, like, a, like, a, like a, a knowing nod that it's funny. Yeah. Like, I don't like gore and violence presented for its, in a realistic fashion. I don't like. Yes. Uh, I don't like human on human violence that isn't stylized. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, like, I find war. Uh, unsettling because I'm, I'm such, yeah. a, a, such a hippie. So like I, I don't like games like Call of Duty and stuff. Yeah. Like I don't want to be a man with a gun shooting another man, and that's mm-hmm. and that's that. Unless it's presented in a stylized way. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of where I sit. Like I'm all about gore and violence. Like I'm about to gush about Mortal Kombat for like 20 minutes, but. <laughs> But Mortal Kombat's goofy as shit. And when I play Mortal Kombat, I'm laughing so hard I'm going to piss myself. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of gore and violence I like. But, like, I'm not, like, a sociopath. Like, I'm not on, like, Reddit looking for, like, car accident pics. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you know, like, there's, <laughs> there's a very specific type of presentation that I appreciate. And that's what we'll talk yeah. about today. Like... My initial proposal, um, for those of you who don't know, when we work on the podcast, we've got a, we've always got a spreadsheet building of potential topics. And uh, my phrasing when I had suggested that we do a discussion about gory games was like gory games that make us laugh, like that are stylized, that are mm-hmm. that are funny and interesting, or or, yeah. or or ways that the gore has tied into mechanics in interesting ways, but not gore for gore's sake, not violence yes. for violence's sake. And I think that line is very very important to maintain. Yes, definitely. So I I think I have a pretty similar attitude to you. So I have a lot. I have a much more difficult time stomaching gore in movies and TV shows than I do in games. Sure. Uh, I mean, that that sounds like it should be obvious, really, but because games, even in their current form, are much less realistic than um, than special effects in movies and TV shows. But there's, I know that the stuff in the movies and TV shows isn't happening, but it still squicks me out a lot more than seeing something similar happening to, sure. happening to a game character. Like... Um, like anything happening with eyes, I just can't deal with. Oh, me it's, too. That's, that's my thing. I'm, ter- yeah, that, I'm terrified that, of eye, like eye hurting. <laughs> yeah, that 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 is like, I can deal with most stuff. Like I don't necessarily like it, but I can deal with most stuff. But anything involving eyes, I, I actually can't watch. Um, it, that, that's that's like the only thing I can't I can't watch under any circumstances is anything that involves sort of even the risk of injury to an eye. It doesn't have yeah. to actually injure it, but it, if there's just the risk of injury to an eye, it just squicks me out completely. Um, but aside from, aside from that, I mean, I've been playing gory games for quite a while, um, and um, I've kind of had varied reactions to them over the years. So I think one of the earliest examples I played wasn't necessarily a particularly gory game in its entirety but there was one particular moment in it um and the game i want to talk about first um is an old atari st game called savage uh, by firebird okay uh, this was developed by a company called probe um who aren't especially well known now but a couple of the people involved with it are well more well known now so probe uh probably the most well-known person from probe was dave perry who went on to make things like MDK and uh, oh, okay. and all that sort of thing? So, so yeah, this was this was a very early game from him, uh, and it was a very unusual game as well because it was um, it was a three part game um, that you could you, you you could load the three parts of it separately, 
And what you were supposed to do is you were supposed to play through the first part, finish that, it would give you a password, you could then go into the second part, enter this password, and it would, it would give you more lives. So you'd have an advantage at the start of that. But if you wanted to, if you just wanted to see what the second and third bits were like, you could load straight into those, not enter the password, and you could play it, you'd just have one life. Um, and across the three components, so the first section was uh, sort of a side-scrolling... Um, I don't want to call it a beat-em-up because it wasn't because you, you were throwing axes at things rather than hitting things but it was kind of presented a bit like a, a, a belt scrolling beat-em-up except you were, you were chucking axes like you do in uh, Ghosts and Goblins oh cool um, then the second part um, was a sort of um, it was a first person thing so it was kind of like uh, a combination of Space Harrier and uh, Death Chase on the ZX Spectrum so you were trying to dodge these obstacles and shoot things at the same time so unlike Space Harrier it was a first person perspective but it was it was still sort of the idea of looking up and down and shooting things and that kind of thing uh, and then the third level is where the, the gore side of things came in for me so in the third section, uh, the hero of the game uh, forms a psychic bond with his eagle companion, and rather than going to rescue the princess himself, he sends his eagle in to rescue her instead. Um, which is which is fine. It, it made the third level suitably different. Uh, it made it into sort of a maze game rather than a, a straight side-scroller. But the, the thing in this third segment is when the eagle got killed, um, it would fall to the floor with this horrendous screeching sound produced <laughs> by the ST sound chip. Um, and then it would lie there in a pool of blood that would drip down the side of the platforms. And like the rest of the game hadn't been gory at all. But when I saw this for the first time, I was like, whoa, that's I don't I don't like that. That's that's not nice. And it was it was just a, a, an immediately really strong visceral reaction to that. It's like I, I hadn't come across gore in a game before, and suddenly seeing blood from um, I, I think the fact it was seeing blood from an animal uh, oh, kind of sure. added to the impact for for me uh, because I, I've always been like a big animal lover and things, and 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 seeing anything bad happening to an animal. Um, just like really puts me off i mean i'm not like a vegetarian or anything like that because of it but it's sort of like seeing any sort of any sort of injury or anything like that coming to an animal has always kind of made me feel very uncomfortable oh and, yeah i and, think and that's this, a pretty common <laughs> yeah absolutely and and this game was really the first time that i'd encountered that in a game and it, it kind of it kind of put me off playing it um, because although it was only it only happened sort of when you failed in this last stage it was still off-putting enough to me to to make me not want to play that game which which was a shame because it's it's a cool game but it yeah it, that was I, th I think one of my earliest encounters with gore if we contrast that with a game from the similar time period um which is barbarian from palace software um which was known as death sword in the states i think um this is this is a very well-known game from the period um and it was very well known for two reasons one was its violence um, and the second uh, was the fact that it was marketed and packaged with a <coughs> glamour model on the front cover, oh. um, which which was nice. So um, in the end, it actually became more controversial for that latter aspect than the violence aspect, um, because people were concerned about oh, or, or the the terrible influence on young children of having a a page three model in a in a bikini on the front cover of a game. It's going to corrupt the youth of us. 
but they they didn't they didn't seem to care for the fact that if you pressed the fly button and uh, pulled in the opposite direction on the joystick to which you were facing you could do a flying neck chop that if you timed it correctly would chop off your opponent's head cause them to collapse to the floor with blood spurting from their stump of a neck and then a goblin would wander on the screen drag their body off and kick their head into the distance well that's just the um, classic east versus west right like <laughs> like right now with all the discussions about sony's new censorship policies yeah, but like Mortal Kombat 11 is okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we yeah, must pro- we must protect we must protect the children from the possibility that they might see a breast. Yes, but yes. but but it's totally cool, totally cool for them to use a razor blade <laughs> fan to split a man down the middle, chop yep. off his head, throw his head up in the air, and then throw the fan to slice his head in two horizontally as it passes between the vertically bisected <laughs> sections of his torso. That's cool. That won't fuck anybody up. No. But no, oh, oh, sh- oh shit, cleavage. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, but it, it's hilarious that even like then that was like, "Oh, get rid of the oh, page yeah. 3 model, but decapitations." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so interestingly, like I I did not have a problem with barbarian at all. I did not have a problem with people getting their heads cut off. Did not have a problem with sword combat with blood flying off people. Cuz it wasn't no your pet. Whatsoever. Because it wasn't my pet eagle, no. <laughs> um but yeah, so I, I think that was that was another early example um that got a sequel a couple of years later uh, which was very similar in which you could actually play as the page three model as well as the um as well as the barbarian Game who, of the year. Uh, in- yeah exactly incidentally the the barbarian um later became wolf from gladiators in this country oh um which uh, i don't know if that means anything to you but uh, uh <laughs> Br- british british listeners will 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 know what i'm talking about um yeah, so, so Barbarian 2 uh, wasn't quite as gory in terms of the actual combat you were doing, but there were a number of enemies who could uh, do things like bite your head off and stuff like that. Like in the first level, there was a sort of big dragon type thing, and one of his attacks was he could bite your head off, and again, you'd crumple to the floor, and there'd be blood spurting from your the stump of your neck and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, that, that didn't bother me either, because again, it wasn't my pet eagle. Um, <laughs> so, I mean when when was sort of you think your first encounter with gore in games i can remember and and, and how did you feel about it i can remember very vividly playing a game for the genesis called the immortal ah yes yes uh in my buddy jeff's basement down the street from my house and that was probably the first time i can really remember gore because genesis does what nintendo don't Mm-hmm. As we all, as we all know, <laughs> and uh, and in the immortal is like it's not really an RPG; it's more like a isometric action game. Yeah. But but there's battle sequences in it, and they play like almost. It's almost like Punch Out. Yeah, like, I, I like, they're a bit Punch Outy, aren't they? There's lots of leaning and attacking and openings and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just like isometric Punch Out. Like you, it's like you're this wizard. You're just Gandalf, right? You're a wizard who has a staff in one hand and a broadsword in the other. So you're like badass wizard, and you fight these like goblins and ogres in this dungeon when you encounter them, and you're just it's presented from an isometric perspective, and you just like swing at each other with timing and dodges, like mm-hmm. punch out. Um, but when you win, <laughs> it's just these glorious animations 
of like these these goblins like heads just exploding off their bodies or like <laughs> or just like melting into a puddle of goo and like say and like same thing with you like you can be yeah. like totally wrecked like you can just explode and like fountains of gush and like i just remember playing the immortal and being th- th- that delicious cop like the fr- the first time you also see like a playboy Right, like the yeah, first time you yeah. see a naked person or of the sex you are attracted to, there's a combination <laughs> of knowing that you've just seen something that you probably shouldn't have seen, then you stop, <laughs> then you stop and you think and then you're like I need to see that again. <laughs> and it takes like five or six times before the feeling of like I just saw something I shouldn't see goes away and is totally replaced yeah. by I need to see that again. So <laughs> so like the first the first five or six fights in the immortal I was like, "Oh my, what have I done?" And then and then and then it was like, "When can we rent the Immortal again?" Like, and this game is not great by like any means, and like I'm terrible at it, but I just remember these like vivid like exploding head animations and like when you shoot the guys with your magic wand and it's like Pah! Yeah. And like, yeah, it's like I, the Immortal is probably the first vivid memory I have. Yeah. Also, that game yeah. has hella good cover art because it's just the sweet ass black metal Grim Reaper like cutting the title in half with his scythe, yeah. and it's just like the most metal thing ever. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty sweet. I I actually had that game on the Atari ST as well. So yes, yeah, so I know exactly what you're talking about there. Yeah. Um. So I th- I think what we've highlighted there is what you mentioned at the beginning, which is kind of the difference between um gore as um something that is purely violent and shocking, and something that is stylized and almost designed to be amusing and entertaining. Yes. So like if if we contrast <laughs> with, with, with if we contrast Savage, if we go back to Savage, like y- your bird getting killed is is like that's not supposed to be entertaining. That's a bad thing. It's 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 unglamorous. It's, it's like the the horrible end of your game. It's like it's it, it is it's supposed to make you feel bad. Uh, probably not as bad as I felt when I first saw it, but it is supposed to make you feel bad. Whereas when you look at the immortal, a goblin's head exploding when you stab him in the face, yeah, that is supposed to make you feel badass and ridiculous. And I think I think that is that is sort of the distinction that we're making a bit here. Um, yeah. So um, some other ones I wanted to bring up uh, again from from sort of the slightly earlier days. This is this one. Next one is a little bit later. Uh, it was a game by Accolade uh, for home computers called Waxworks. Um, and this was uh, a game by a company called Horrorsoft, who are probably most well known for their games based on Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Well, if, uh, if, if, if Elvira is involved, I'm there. <laughs> this one didn't directly involve Elvira, but um, I think her games were quite gory as well, from what I remember. So, like their their specialism was make, in making horror games, and most of them were sort of a combination of point and click adventure and dungeon crawler which is what um, Waxworks was. So the concept of Waxworks was uh, you play uh, one of two twins and uh, your family is under a curse uh, from an old witch uh, that when twins are born into the family, one will turn out good and one will turn out evil. That's just how it is anyway, though. It doesn't have to be a witch in my my experience. 
<laughs> exactly so your your twin brother has turned out to be evil um and so naturally the only way you can solve this is to go to your dead uncle's mansion uh, which is filled with a waxworks uh, celebrating the um the evil twins from throughout the past of your family go back correct history and then everything will be absolutely fine um so uh, what waxworks does is it takes you through uh, four distinct time periods so you like you go back to the time of the pharaohs and you're exploring a pyramid uh, you go to a like like a graveyard uh, when there's like a, a necromancer raising zombies in there uh, you go back to victorian london when jack the ripper is um sort of doing his thing and what was the fourth one uh, oh you're down in the mine fighting off plant monsters or something like that Ooh. so so like there's a, a whole series of different horror tropes in there um it, with each each of the four environments sort of having quite different gameplay so like the egyptian section was very based on exploring mazes and combat uh the graveyard bit was kind of a combination of combat and puzzle solving uh the jack the ripper bit was exclusively puzzle solving there was no combat in that at all so like if you got caught by a policeman in that you would you would get taken away arrested and hung so um <laughs> you had to make sure that didn't happen um but yeah the, th the thing with waxworks is um it had a sticker on the front of the box that said parental warning intense graphic violence yeah. and and they were not joking this this game was the first time i ever saw intestines <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh but that <laughs> fucked you up good <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because like I I had played violent games prior to this, um, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I I had never played something that was sort of explicitly gory in a kind of horror movie style. Oh man! So there are sequences there are sequences in Waxworks where you you come across. Um, sort of in your explorations of the various dungeons and mazes you'll, you'll come across scenes that you can sort of examine in an uh, adventure game fashion a sort of point and click adventure game fashion and one of these sequences was in the graveyard you sort of come to um this this fence and you find someone who obviously used to work in the graveyard he was like obviously used to be a gravekeeper or something like that and he sort of leaned up against the fence and you can see that he's obviously suffered some terribly traumatic injury to his abdomen uh and so naturally you click on him to go and search his body because that's what you do in adventure games and then it gives you this horrific close-up of like all his innards spilling out of his guts and it's just like whoa what what the hell like, i was not ready for that at the time i'm um, googling I this shit now this is this is some pretty ridiculous stuff this is yeah. this is great this is ace yeah, level so horror <laughs> um so yeah I, I i found that really interesting and I, I i wasn't quite as sort of shaken up by that as i was by savage at least partly because i was a little bit older and i had a little bit more experience with uh various types of media that incorporated a bit more violence uh by that point and like i say i'd played some other violent games by that point but it was still the first time that i'd ever seen something quite so graphic mm -hmm. um and it was really effective. It was really effective in sort of generating the atmosphere of that thing. It gave it a very authentic feel for... I hadn't really seen many horror movies at that point, but it gave me a very effective uh, feel for what I thought a horror movie was at that point, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. so, so sort of the image I had in my mind of, of what you would expect to see in a horror movie. Um, and yeah, it worked really well from that perspective. Um, it sort of... It really added to the feeling of you, you never know what's going to be around the next corner. You never know if you're going to find something that's helpful to you or if you're going to find something that is horrific and traumatizing or if you're going to find a monster that's going to try and kill you. So, yeah, it was a very distinctive part of that game's atmosphere and made it really memorable as a result. 
Um, so the the other gory games that I I mentioned that I was playing around the time would have been um, the, the one that sort of springs most readily to mind would be Wolfenstein 3D. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and Wolfenstein 3D um, was it, it sort of um, really stood out to me at the time because it was the first game I saw that I felt was making its violence into a selling point. Yes, yeah. Because um, when you beat up Wolfenstein 3D, um, it goes through like the, the sort of title sequence of like Apogee Games, ID, id Software, and so on. Um, but then one of the first things you have on, this, on the beginning is like a, a voluntary warning system in the style of uh, a kind of movie classification thing. And it says, warning, uh, this game has been rated PC-13, profound carnage. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, yeah, that that was the first time I'd seen a game be upfront about its violence like that, and almost seeming to to celebrate it. It's sort of like one of the first things it said when you booted up that game is, "This game is violent. Enjoy." Enjoy. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's that's exactly what you went about in in Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein was a satisfying game because you were uh, you were fighting enemies who are sort of universally understood to be evil and bad and horrible and wrong so you're shooting nazis and sort of seeing them explode in showers of blood and that sort of thing was it was satisfying you were being a badass and that sort of thing mm-hmm. but at the same time wolfenstein 3d also had a few really weird aspects to it as well like when you got below i think it was 10 percent health or something like that uh you could drink blood off the floor and that gave you one percent health back i don't remember that Oh yeah, yeah, and it makes this horrible noise when you do it as well. It sort of goes. Oh, when you do that. spaghetti! It's, oh, yeah, it's it, but um, yeah. So Wolfenstein is stuck in my mind both for being the first time that I remember violence being used as a selling point, but also um, it was the first time that I remember actually the violence in the game leading to a conversation with my parents. Oh, that's um, a, that's a major turning point. Yeah, I mean, it, because for until, good parents, the, the, vi- yeah, the yeah, violence yeah. talk for good parents is what prevents you from becoming a school shooter. Yes, so yes, so yes. it's a very important talk. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I, I remember the context of it vividly. It, it, it's weird. I don't remember the exact how the conversation exactly went, but I do remember the context of it. And I remember it was me and my friend Ed um we're both playing a lot of wolfenstein at the time and, and spear of destiny it's sort of follow-up and sequel and we were making custom levels for it and we like it we were obsessed with it at the time it was it was our game at the time um and we went on holiday together um to this place called center parks um which is like a, a sort of holiday camp village type place where you, you stay in a villa in the depths of the woods and it's lovely and um ed came with me uh, so it was me and my parents and my friend and for some reason, um, around the breakfast table one day, the conversation turned to Wolfenstein 3D and um, and the violent contents and stuff. And like my my parents weren't too thrilled about it, but they they were they knew to trust us. They knew that we weren't going to um, sort of do anything ridiculous with it. They knew that it wasn't necessarily going to corrupt us, but they still wanted to talk to us about it. Sure. And. Um, <laughs> Uh, ed sort of has this enduring shame to this day that like the one thing he said that was um sort of trying to be in favor of it was yeah but you get used to it (laughs) (laughs) it is true (laughs) but yeah yeah that that didn't really help his case but yeah i I remember that conversation happening and I, i remember my parents respecting us enough to understand that we were engaging with something that was maybe 
I mean, we, we were probably about 13 years old at the time, so yeah. we, we were sort of the age of the rating it was giving there. But it was um, up until that point, my parents had been very strict on like what movies I could watch. Like, I wasn't allowed to watch 15 rated movies or 18 rated movies until I was the right age. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were very strict on that. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of respect them for sticking to that, it, even though it meant that I sort of missed out on a lot of movies and a lot of conversations in the schoolyard. But yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the Wolfenstein 3D sort of really sticks in my mind for that reason as well, for for actually prompting a conversation, not not a hysterical conversation or anything like that, but actually sort of prompting a conversation and prompting me to think about um, sort of the meaning of the media that I was engaging with. Sure. Very important. Hmm. I had a similar discussion about foul language after the first time I saw RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, w- what are some other examples of stuff that you've engaged with over the years? Uh, well, going off of the immortal, uh, also Splatterhouse. Yes. Um, so, because like Splatterhouse is like the ultimate delight. Like, if gore is your thing, right? So, like, you're just like, uh, Splatterhouse is from Namco, and it is a horror themed. It's a beat 'em up, but it's not belt scrolling. Like it's side scrolling, but it, it it's yeah. less action focused than a traditional side scroll. It feels like a beat 'em up. Like the enemies come at you in a specific pattern and pace, and you just kind of have to yeah. take them out. Um, but you play as like a dude in a hockey in a possessed hockey mask who's trying to rescue your girlfriend from a haunted house besieged by the occult, and uh, every single enemy in Splatterhouse is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like they, yeah. they like are all like zombies and like uh, undead abominations, and they they shamble at you in such a way that it is apparent that their mere existence is painful to them. Yeah. So it's really, really like intense, like body horror, and mm-hmm. um, the animation and like the attention to detail, and even the first Splatterhouse is ridiculous. And, like, yeah. you pick up weapons along the way, and this being hard, they're not always weapon weapons, it's, like, improvised stuff, like two-by-fours and crowbars, and you smack these enemies, and their, like, flesh tears, like, tissue paper, and they just they just crumble to the floor in, like, masses of, like, glistening meat, and, and like, if you get the two-by-four, you can smack the zombies laterally, and they fly against the background... Yes, and actually yes. splatter like oh splatterhouse is so good and like the yes. the first level one of the one of the early bosses is just like you're in a room just the room is filled with gore like there's just body parts and meat and like pulsating organs just smeared all over the walls and in piles on the floor and the actual boss are the demonic possessed maggots that live in the piles of meat yeah. And they come out at you, and it's just like, and this is Splatterhouse. Mm-hmm. And there's three games of this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I, fantastic. Yeah. I didn't play that back in the day, but I do remember reading about it um, in a magazine that my brother was working on at the time. He was working on a Mega Drive magazine, and they did a review of Splatterhouse, um, sort of when it was first released, I think when it was still an import. And uh, there was a whole page of the review in the magazine was devoted to the 
um, splattering animations yes. for the different weapons. So it was just a whole page. It was like, if you use this weapon, this is what happens to the enemies. And they just like these massive blown up pixelated things of, of yeah, things splattering against the background and exploding into chunks and stuff. And it was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. I was, <laughs> I was, as a child, so scared of Splatterhouse <laughs> that I couldn't even like go to the video rental store and like look at the box. Yeah. Because there's just something, there's something so primally disturbing about the way the mm-hmm. enemies look in Splatterhouse. Like, I can't even, like, describe, like, they're all, they're, like, all glistening and, like, they're all just soft and, like, fleshy. And, like I said, yeah. like, they look like they want you to kill them the way they walk mm-hmm. at you. Because they, they look, yeah. they're, they're these reanimated horrors, and they shamble, and they moan, and it's, like, there's something so viscerally terrifying about Splatterhouse. But also, it's an arcade game from Namco. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's just, like, a really weird, special thing. And, like, e- yeah. even as an adult, sometimes, um, the third one on the Mega Drive, there's something so primally disturbing about the sound effects and the color choice for the art and presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the intertitles between the stages they chose to digital digitize real people yeah instead of instead of uh animated characters uh for like your girl like the ghost of your girlfriend and whatever so uh, there's just Mm -hmm. something so primally disturbing about it i love it yeah yeah so i mean i can tell from how you've talked about that 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 you enjoy that but it, it sounds like it's it's very close to that line between um sort of gore that is genuinely horrifying and gore that is entertaining yes so i mean it it could be quite easy for that to go in either direction i think yeah Um, i'm sure i'm sure there are people like like i said like i I love it and i still have difficulty with certain scenes and characters and stuff from splatterhouse because it's just so over the top um but at the same time it's goofy and stupid and it's over the top specifically um, and it's not against, and, and what, like I mentioned earlier when you we were talking about like shooters, I don't want to play. To, it's not man on man. Yeah, yeah. Like there's never, man there's there's never a point where you're like, here's a dude in jeans and a t-shirt. Let's hit him with mm-hmm. the two by four. Like that's not a th- yeah. that's not a thing that happens. So it's okay. Yeah. yeah. So I I mean I mostly feel that way, but then there are a couple of ex- exceptions like. Um, if I think of Carmageddon, okay, Carmageddon uh, yeah. is technically, uh, technically, I guess it's human on human. Yeah, it is. I mean, technically, it's it's car on human, but um, it's a sliding scale. Car- but yeah, Carmageddon is so utterly ridiculous and deliberately, deliberately stylized in such a way to be amusing. It yeah. knows that the the situation is so ridiculous that. I mean, if you saw it in, in reality, yes, of course it would be horrifying. But in Carmageddon, because of the exaggerated physics, because of the ridiculous car models, because of the ridiculous combination of, of human characters who populate each of the tracks, it's hilarious. And the in- intent is the key here, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. If you could absolutely. hit, if you could hit people, like if you were playing Gran Turismo, <laughs> you could hit your pit crew. <laughs> and they just died realistically in Grand Tur- That would be that would be horrible. <laughs> yes, but this is Carmageddon. Yes. This is a thing called yes. Carmageddon. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But I mean, 
I mean, they, they're just people. Like, they're not bad people. Like, you're running over old ladies and women in bikinis and, like, fat people and, like, just dudes and cows and all sorts of things. And, like, again, sliding scale, it could be horrifying, but just because of the way it's presented, it is incredibly amusing. Like, there's little things like the, the, the replay function in Carmageddon. It, the replay function in Carmageddon is one of the most masterful replay systems I've ever seen because it knows how to pick the perfect camera angle to make it the most amusing situation possible. Oh. So um, so what it does, it, it, it records like a significant chunk of your gameplay at any one time and you can just tap, the, uh, tap a key on the keyboard to go into replay mode and play this stuff back. And like the default camera mode, it does stuff like when you get a particularly spectacular or interesting kill on a human what it will do is it will take it will move the camera away from your car and it will just say the human just sort of wandering around and minding their own business and then your car will like fall out of the sky onto their head or something like that <laughs> it's just the most it's just the most hilarious thing imaginable just like I, I remember me and my friends just spending hours playing the original demo version of Carmageddon and just playing with that replay function just because we would be pissing ourselves with laughter every time that particular situation came up and it came up a lot <laughs> yeah yeah and so so yeah yeah you're absolutely right In, intent is is very important so Carmageddon was designed from the outset to be ridiculous and silly and like over the top and humorous like you, you can tell just from just from the tone of everything about Carmageddon from the uh from the packaging to the manual to the text in the game it's not supposed to be serious it's supposed to be funny and full of puns and violence for amusement's sake abstraction is also important um yeah for, for instance uh, i have difficulty with 3d grand theft auto mm -hmm. like 3d grand theft auto i play like letter of the law like i yeah, I, yeah. I drive on the street I, o yes. I only kill other mobsters or whatever that are trying to kill me, like, because it's realistic enough and the characters are portrayed as people. Yeah, two yeah I I'm exactly the same. Grand I'm Theft exactly Auto 1 and 2, I steal an ambulance and drive on the sidewalk. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. like run over the line of Harry Krishna's and Goranga bonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, <laughs> it's like it, the abst abstraction, presentation, intent all part of the picture as grand theft auto became more serious and the humans became humans mm -hmm. instead of pick like pixelated lumps that were meant points to me yeah it, and like in the, in the old grand theft autos were arcadey like so yes. like, like there'd be like cheering sounds and goofy sound effects and and so it was different but so yeah. like, like i know where the line is for me and i know where my comfort lies yeah definitely definitely yeah, modern, modern Grand Theft Auto for me are about enjoying the world and sort of the simulation of the different vehicles and exploring and that sort of thing. It's like, no, I, 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 I used to enjoy like sort of the rampage stuff in Grand Theft Auto Three and Vice City. Yeah, but sort of from San, San Andreas onwards, it, it just didn't quite feel right to do that anymore. Yes, yeah, just because they 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 were putting a lot more effort into the protagonist at that point as well. Yeah, as a character. Yeah. Um, and so, like, like, like CJ in San Andreas didn't feel like someone who would go on a murderous rampage just for the sake of it. it right, seemed right for him to do that. And the same for Grand Theft Auto Five. I mean, I mean, Trevor is the obvious exception in Grand Theft Auto Five, but even then, I felt a bit uncomfortable doing that. So, yeah, 
yeah interesting interesting situation uh, one other game i wanted to bring up is um a, a, another reasonably recent one we're jumping quite forward here so so feel free to jump back after i've talked about this mm-hmm. but, um um is uh, until dawn on ps4 oh that's that one that's basically like an interactive slasher movie right yeah yeah so so until dawn is um it's a game it, it sort of unfolds a bit like a david cage game uh in terms of uh you sort of you sort of work your way through various scenes and you move around and you interact with objects and you have sort of choices to make and that sort of thing and there's occasional quick time events and so on um but its main kind of shtick is that yeah as you say it's um it's supposed to be sort of um I don't know if I want to call it a deconstruction, but it's it's certainly uh, exploring the tropes of kind of late nineties horror movies, mm-hmm. things like Scream and stuff like that. So, so the setup is is very sort of late nineties slasher flick. So it's like a bunch of teens go into a remote cabin up in the mountains, and bad things start happening. Um, but uh, the thing with Until Dawn is it, it it sort of systematically starts working through pretty much every horror trope you can possibly think of along the way, and part of the narrative is kind of working out which ones are actually happening and which ones are just sort of people messing with you, um, because there's a, there's a significant part of the story that is sort of like certain characters trying to mess with the rest of the cast for various reasons, and but then at the same time there is horrific stuff that is actually happening as well. Um, and so sort of getting the best ending in the game and sort of making sure that everyone survives is a matter of understanding uh, what kind of horror you're experiencing if you're experiencing simulated horror or um genuine horror mm. and so there's there's a bunch of scenes throughout that that uh, sort of when they first happen you think oh my god that's horrific that's horrible that can't possibly have happened and then you think well maybe it maybe it didn't actually happen because it leaves clues around the place that sort of provide uh, sort of p- potential ways for you to uncover sort of the truth behind these things that are happening. Like this, this, this is probably a spoiler, but I mean, the game's been out a while now, so I, I will spoil certain bits of it. Um, there's a sequence early on where uh, one of the characters finds themselves, uh, they, they've been sort of pursuing um, who they assume to be this psychopath killer. And they find themselves in uh, sort of a, a hut up on the mountain, and they look through a window, and two of their friends are attached to they're, they're sort of tied up on a wall, and there's like a, a circular saw sort of just slowly advancing towards them, and the the character who's not tied up is given a choice between saving one or one or the other of these characters, and um, the choice that most people will make is is pretty obvious uh, it, it, to such a degree that every playthrough i've seen people have made this one choice uh, they they save the girl and they let the, the they let the boy die i've never seen anyone do anything different i don't even know if it's possible to select differently but what happens when the boy dies is that he sort of gets chopped up by the sword you see this in excruciatingly graphic detail the sort of intestines flopping out and blood everywhere and that sort of thing but later in the game you discovered that that was faked it was it was it was the boy who was sticking his head through a hole at the top and it was a dummy filled with like pig intestines and stuff like that so once you learn that information there you start questioning whether the other stuff that is going on in that game is real as well and whether you should be horrified at the stuff that's going on or if it's just something that you should be skeptical about and yeah it just makes for a really interesting um experience a really interesting kind of adventure game style experience that has lots of different endings and lots of different ways you can kind of interpret the relationships within the characters and how they interact with one another so it's a really good example of a horror game that 
it kind of uses gore quite sparingly there's there is a fair amount of gore in it but it uses it quite effectively it doesn't really use it in the way that we've described that it's amusing um but it uses it in in an effective horrific manner that doesn't sort of overstay its welcome sure if you see what i mean yeah well, that's what good hard does. Like the, the yeah, if the gore is too copious, it's not effective. I mean, yeah. you know, there's a lot of there's, you know, we're talking about gore in a lot of different contexts, and there's a very different way to the way good horror uses gore, to the way mm-hmm. a, a, something that's stylized and goofy uses gore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes, and then you have you have well, they're stylized and goofy, and then there's excessive, isn't there? Just to just to try and be just. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but and I'm struggling to think up with one. But um, but yeah, I, I'm just sort of thinking the the difference between sort of the ridiculous, goofy gore of something like, say, the original Quake or something like that, when you could jib people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And contrast that with something that just makes everything splatter into bloody chunks just for for no real reason, just to just for the sake of it, really. I mean, there's I'm sure there's there's games. I'm thinking that probably the sort of asset flip type games you get on Steam are probably the sort of sort of place where you'd see that. They, they are just violent for the sake of it. What's They're that? Not trying to say anything. What's that first person shooter that a lot of people like Killing Floor? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty just like oh, we've got blood, guys. Like that's yeah. Like yeah, I, so, so, I'm kind of turned so, off by the whole like vibe of that game. Yeah, I mean, Killing Floor is supposed to be quite a good game, but yeah, I um, hear it's good. It, yeah but no no i i know what you mean it, it does seem to sort of be playing up on the sort of edgy violence thing and it it is a really fine line with that because sometimes it can really work because like i remember people going nuts for bullet bullet storm a few years back oh i like that game yeah and and a bullet storm was a, a really good example of how to do this right because it was it was kind of exaggerated and over the top and it was kind of self-referential about it and it knew how stupid it was it knew that the amount of violence it was putting in there was absolutely stupid. We're supposed to be getting so, a remaster of that soon, aren't we? On like the PS4. It, did that come out it already? Happen? It might. It might have. I haven't been following it closely, but yeah. I love that game. Yeah, I think it came out a while back. Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. That was a really good example of how to do it properly. Um, but then I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of other examples out there of games that just decide to be bloody and gory just for the sake of it. Um, yeah. So. It's, I mean, those aren't the kind of games I play, so I don't really, yeah. you know, I don't know. I can't, I can't list any because when I see them, I avoid them. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm the same. I, I tend not to play a lot of violent games these days, anyway. I mean, I tend to, I, I tend to, a lot of the time, avoid games that look like they have particularly kind of grim and dark atmospheres. I mean, there's, there's occasional horror games that I like. But these days, I tend to find that I prefer the more kind of psychological side of horror. So, which is yeah. why I liked Project Zero so much. Why I like Silent Hill so much because they don't emphasize the the sort of gory side of things. I mean, Silent Hill's definitely got horrific monsters in it, and yeah. uh, Project Zero has also got Project Zero is interesting because it's got lots of implied violence. Oh yeah, well, the um, violence has happened. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. the ghosts have had the violence done to them when you find them. You know, yes. Um, but there, there are a couple of situations in Project Zero where you, you sort of see, you sort of see what is what was happening to one of the ghosts, and then it stops just short of the actual violent act happening. Sure, but you still kind of, you still kind of feel it, and that's that's really effective yeah. as well. well. That's really effective use of yeah. it. Good, good, good horror knows that imagination is the most powerful tool. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, know. definitely. But yeah, uh, I mean, like you know, we, 
talking about survival horror, like Resident Evil is an example of a survival horror yeah. game with more gore. And it's also mm-hmm. an example of, like, I don't like Resident Evil. <laughs> like, I like, I like <laughs> Silent Hill. But then, like, on my list of games I wanted to talk about today that I do like, that I think is cool, is I like Dead Space a lot. Yes. And Dead yes. Space, what I like about Dead Space is we've been talking about gore a lot as, like, a presentational choice. Mm-hmm. But Dead Space is a game where the actual gore and dismemberment is important to the game mechanically. It's actually tied to the way the game plays. Okay. So like I've not played Dead Space, so so yeah, tell me about it. Oh yeah, that. so like Dead Space, you you play as an engineer in this space mm-hmm. colony. Now I've only played the first Dead Space, but I think the other two follow suit with this. But you play as an engineer, not a soldier. Uh so, yeah. so the majority of your quote unquote weapons are actually tools. Yeah. Like saws or like laser cutting devices or like rivet guns and stuff like that. Like your your weapons aren't weapons. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of them are designed to cut specifically, and um, what you f- uh, and the whole deal with the enemies is they they're kind of these possessed humans that like sprout like tentacles with like scythes on the end of them and like crazy limbs, um, mm-hmm. and to simply shoot the enemies in the torso in like the thick part of their bodies is not enough to stop them. So yeah. so the best way to survive in dead space is to use these tools you have, which are cutting tools. To remove the limbs of the enemies before they get to you. Oh, okay. So the yeah. so the way you actually str- strategize combat as it's happening is to prioritize the enemies that are closest to you, and systematically remove their limbs. Um, <laughs> so like one of the first, one of the cool, one of the weapons you get that's like the shotgun weapon with a widespread. Um, the alt fire actually changes whether it fires the, the, the wave of laser that cuts vertically or horizontally. Yeah. So it's basically like you're choosing leg removal, leg or head removal and arm removal. <laughs> and like, yeah. so like when you're playing Dead Space Right, it's just this like magical orchestra of like arms flying off and like legs flying <laughs> off. And, like, falling to the ground, because everything has physics at this point, right? We're in the PS3 era. And you're just producing these piles of, like, mutilated stumps with (laughs) with your, like, circular saw launcher. And, and, like, it's gory, and, like, everything has a good squishy, like, you know there was a guy in a sound room with a Ziploc bag full of ground beef, just, like, punching, (laughs) just, like, punching it. And, like, everything is squishy and delightful, and everything falls with a weighty thud, and just, you're just removing limbs <laughs> with your tools. And it's great. In, sp- yeah, in space, not- in space. In space. So sometimes there's no gravity. Yeah. So sometimes the limbs just float away. <laughs> <laughs> and this is exceedingly satisfying. Yes. Yes, I know. I know Dead Space is very well regarded. It's 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 one that I've I've never really got around to trying. But um, yeah, I remember people really liked it back when it first released, and sort of it it continues to be quite fondly regarded ever since. So I know I think one and two in particular are supposed to be very good. Three people didn't like quite so much because that was around the time that EA started being a bit more EA than they had been previously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely three three from what I understand is still worth playing because of the narrative. But it, yeah. it is codified full of, like, free-to-play BS. Like, currencies yeah. you can buy online for your upgrades and DLC garbage. But yeah, but one is still, to most people, the best. Because, uh, from what I understand, two emphasized the combat a bit too much and downplayed the horror. 
Yeah. But one was a tight, like, horror game full of good jump scares and moments of stage design that created genuine fear. Um, yeah, so that, that, that I had written down to talk about today. In a similar vein, I also wanted to mention the modern remakes of Shadow Warrior. Oh, yes. Because yes, you get that sweet, you know, you have your katana, and you're just like, oh, arms everywhere. No more arms yeah. for you, bad yeah. guy. Well, I mean, I mean, the original Shadow Warrior was like that as well, because yeah, you, yeah. You, had the, you had the katana in that as well. And it was the first game I'd seen where sort of having, engaging in hand-to-hand combat in a first-person game would actually splatter you with blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so like you chop someone up in the original Shadow Warrior, and the the sprite which represented you holding your katana would actually get bloodstains all over it. Yeah. That was the first time I'd seen that. But uh, yeah, that's really played up nicely in the the newer ones. The new ones have such satisfying melee combat. They've got a really good um, sort of a system of of triggering special moves and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not something I'd seen done from a first person perspective before, and it works brilliantly in those games. They are so satisfying. When you are at like the peak of the first one, and you have that move that sends the, the sideways shockwave out from your sword, and you yes. walk into a room and it's just full of like goblins, and you do that, aim it downward slightly, and you just <laughs> remove like fifteen monsters' legs in one <laughs> shot. And you just see all the limbs scatter and just the torsos all drop to the floor simultaneously. It is oh Shadow Warrior is so satisfying. And then like Wang makes some like ridiculous combat about like chick like chicken wings for dinner like whatever like he's like with like offense with like offensive stereotypical accent they're like oh god that game i love those games oh it's so good so good i need to replay those at some point yeah wonderful absolutely wonderful i still have to play the second one i haven't played the second one yet uh, yeah, the, the the second one is really interesting because they, they, they take a lot of the satisfying mechanics of the first one and then throw it into a completely different game structure. And a lot of people really didn't like that, but I think it works really, really well. So. That's got more of like a hub world with like a focus on like Diablo-style loot collecting, right? Yeah, yeah. it's it's, ba- it's basically first-person Diablo, sort of even more than something like Borderlands. Mm. Um, so you... you and it's got it's got an interesting upgrade system as well in that you you sort of collect a bunch of weapons and you once you've got the weapons you tend not to um sort of get too many new ones so there's quite a small number of weapons but what the most of the loot is are things that you can plug into those weapons and they affect how they work so you might affect the type of damage they do or how much additional damage they do or if they attack certain types of enemy more effectively or that kind of thing so there's that absolute ton of customization in that game that um was a bit much for some people but if if you like your loot whoring and if you like your min maxing then yeah you'll have a a dream of a time in that game it's wonderful and um it has um yeah the final boss fight has music by stan bush oh yeah yeah that's <laughs> that's exciting well uh, the first one had had you've got the touch right when wang's riding in yeah. the car and that was really awesome yeah yeah, yeah it's, oh, it's incredible incredible all right any other stuff you wanted to uh mention yeah i did i was just like going off of that i just find um diablo 3 Mm. is a great example of just like stylized gore linked to the satisfying gameplay loop already so like i'm just i'm just thinking like back to like christmas time when we both got the switch version 
mm-hmm. and like do you remember when I, I was playing the necromancer for the first time and the, yeah. and the necromancer gets that move where the enemy corpses become bombs that you can detonate for area of effect damage <laughs> and you know, I, just, I just remember chaining like 20 corpse explosions down a line and like i was just laughing hysterically to the point where i like had to stop because like oh it's like the the, 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 the giblets in diablo 3 everything just explodes like your sword is like covered in dynamite like just and like guts and slime and yeah, I love me some Diablo. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like I I don't think of Diablo as a gory game, but it's incredibly gory when you think of it. <laughs> it is. But like but like when I'm playing it, I just I just think it's just a ridiculous action game that just happens to but, but yeah, no, you think about it, it is incredibly violent, but like at the time I just think oh this is ridiculous. This is brilliant. I love this. I love playing a character that can hit people so hard their skeleton flies out of their back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and uh, and and like I said, it's it's all tied together. So like, it's not just the gore from a presentation standpoint, but um, I've mentioned a couple times like sound design is a really important yes. part of gore. Yes, so like, and Diablo nails it. Like the, the thud of the hits and the sound of the explosions and the 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 the, the, the sound of the giblets as they liquid rain down upon the <laughs> the stone floor. Like it's just it makes you feel like king of the goddamn universe. Yeah, definitely. Like you were this unstoppable force of death. So yeah, Diablo, another fine example. Uh, and I hadn't even mentioned Mortal Kombat, really, <laughs> <laughs> which is the whole reason I wanted to have this conversation was to celebrate the release of Mortal Kombat 11, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Um, yes. Um, I mean, I, I, there's not much I can say about it. Right? It's Mortal Kombat, but just like that, the recent years of these newer 3D on a 2D playing Mortal Kombat's have really amped up the the hit detection and the and exactly what we're talking about the, the hit stun in Mortal in the new yeah. in modern Mortal Kombat is so good, uh, and the viscer the level of visceral feel it lends to the violence is like unparalleled it's so satisfying Mm -hmm. um and just every new one is just graphically better and technologically better than the last one which means that's that aspect also just gets better and better and better yeah so 11 is just uh, uh, unreal (laughs) and and, like the fatalities are incredible like the one boss lady does this fatality where she just like she has like time magic and she shoots you with her time magic and like tears your body in half vertically and then reverses time stitches you back together then tears your body in half horizontally and like and and, and, and she does it before you die like she catches you before you die and she just keeps doing it over and over and over again while while keeping you alive and she like and she like plays you like an accordion like that and like the screen fades away like she doesn't stop she doesn't let you like drop to the floor (laughs) Or like, oh, it's just... I mean, I won't sit here and describe, like, every fatality I've seen, right? But, like, that's what Mortal Kombat does best. And they just get so mm-hmm. ridiculously inventive. Yeah. And uh, the new one, 11, um, 9 and 10 had those x-ray attacks, right? Where you would hit, and the camera yeah. would stop, and it would show the skeletons. Um, 11 doesn't have those anymore, because I think they were just tired of trying to devise interesting, like, bone break visuals. <laughs> So, yeah. so 
11 just has what they call fatal blows now, which are basically mm-hmm. just mini fatalities you could do in the middle of the match. Yeah. Like, they're just as elaborate. And, like, yeah, like oh, like, you get an I- like, Sub-Zero, like, jams an icicle into your, both your eyes and, like, kicks you to the ground and, like, puts an axe in your groin and, like, grabs you by the axe in your groin, swings you around and, like, slams you on the ground. And it's just, it's just constant. It's just, <laughs> it satisfies, like, every, like, primal need for violence that you could possibly have. <laughs> and of course, most importantly, is it plays well. It's like all this, yes. all this stylization would mean nothing if it didn't play well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd also mentioned, written down uh, time killers, which is like going back to like what are some of the earliest games you remember as being gory? Like, I don't know. If oh yes, you have any experience with this monstrosity? No, no. But uh, yeah, tell me, tell me. So, some. so time killers <laughs> was part of like the the. A very different kind of Me Too movement. And and by that, I'm talking about the Me Too movement where everyone in the 90s felt like they had to make Mortal Kombat yeah. to compete with Mortal Kombat. Um, so the name of the company was Strata, and they made this ridiculous fighting game called Time Killers, where it was... Every character is stupid, and it's not... It's exactly what you expect. There's a knight, there's a viking. <laughs> like, like, you, like, you know, <laughs> there's an alien. Um... And it's this goofy, western-developed 2D fighting game with, with just cartoony sprite work. But what was different about Time Killers was the actual arcade cabinet. Like, there was a Genesis version, but the arcade version's where it's at, obviously. Um, the buttons were actually mapped out on a drawing of a person. Okay. Instead of, like, a typical six-button layout. Yeah. So there's... So on, your, on the arcade cabinet, you've got your joystick... And then, the, and then a drawing of a person with a button on each arm, each leg, and your head. Uh, because in Time Killers, everyone has a bladed weapon, and if you land that, yeah. and if you land that hit just right, the limbs come off. <laughs> so in Time Killers, it's theoretically possible that the only thing you've got left is your head, <laughs> and you have to use the head button to try to headbutt your way to victory. <laughs> and it's ridiculous and there's like a punk dude with a chainsaw uh there's a mantis like a giant human-sized mantis uh with big scythe arms and you just it's a goofy cartoony fighting game where you are removing people's limbs and you can Excellent. and you can remove their legs if you do them if there's certain moves you can do that just do a fatality like ends the match immediately because you decapitate mm-hmm. the person with like a spin attack yeah. Um, they also made a follow-up, which was awesomely called Bloodstorm, <laughs> which just sounds like The Simpsons making fun of Mortal Kombat. Like, like if The Simpsons <laughs> made fun, oh, they, oh, because they did, because The Simpsons did make fun of Mortal Kombat, and it was called Bone Storm. Uh, but yeah, there is a game called Bloodstorm that's also like a goofy like fighting game where you can remove limbs, and that was the sequel to Time Killers. Um, Bloodstorm plays better, but I like Time Killers more because it's goofier and has a stupid cartoony presentation. Uh, yeah. Bloodstorm try- gets away from that a little, and it has like pre-rendered backgrounds and stuff, so it, yeah. it doesn't sit as near to my heart as Time Killers does. Taking itself too seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but hilarious bit of news is that Strata, the company that made these games, was eventually recruited by Capcom... And mm-hmm. and they made the ridiculous Mortal, uh, not Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter the movie, the game. Oh god! It yeah. was the same developers. 
So yeah, that's all I had, I think. Oh, and also uh, Koji Igarashi's Nano Breaker. Mm-hmm. Which I don't want to talk too much about because I think one day we should do a really cool episode about 3D character action games. Yeah, a- and I think a discussion about Nano Breaker is better suited to that because that really, mm-hmm. it, at its whole core, it really is like a Devil May Cry style game with a lot of emphasis on weapon collecting and combos. But um, Nano Breaker, when you kill the enemies, it's just fountains of blood, mm-hmm. and it stays, and, yeah. and you like wade through it. And, like, there's an actual status. Uh, If you go into the status screen, there's a stat of how many gallons of blood you've spilled. (laughs) It actually actually tracks that, which is awesome. I approve. Uh, Yeah, it's good. So that's everything I had. Yeah. So we'll, 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 we'll save uh, more in-depth discussion on that for another day. Yeah. But uh, we've talked for an hour about gore. Yeah. That's impressive stuff. Blood and guts, impressive baby. So, blood and guts. Got to love it. Key part of video gaming history. Anyway, let's uh, let's wrap that up there. Um, so would you like to tell people where to find you online, as usual? Absolutely. Uh, I am all over Tumblr, Twitter, Twittergram. Yeah, Twittergram. Instagram and Twitter as Mr. Gilder Pixels. Uh, I also post my artwork when it's complete at MrGilderPixels.com. But uh, social networking is the way to go if you want to hit me up for new ideas or uh, check out Works in Progress because I like to post stuff as I'm doing it. Cool. And of course, you can find me at MarioGamer.net. I'm not really actively checking social media at the minute. So if you want to get in touch with me, the best way to do so is uh, probably via uh, MarioGamer.net's contact page. So if you want to... uh, talk to me about anything then feel free to drop me a line um yeah okay so as always thank you very much for listening and or watching and we shall see you again next time Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this video, please help out the channel by leaving a like or a comment and subscribing. Be sure to check out murraygamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games new and old every weekday. Every month, Murraygamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both down in the video description. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.